0: every try.
1: Let's take our Bibles tonight, turn over to the book of John, John chapter 4, John chapter 4, we're going to look at uh, chapter 4 beginning in verse 1, just uh, take a few moments in that passage and see what we can't glean from it, obviously we're in the midst of our promotion and uh, we are grateful for the opportunity to be involved in the work of God. And so tonight we're going to touch just a little bit on that work itself and what we're doing even this next few weeks as we move along. We've got one week under our belt now, basically, and this was our first Sunday, but our first full week of of reaching out, soul winning, talking to people and knocking on doors, praying for God to bring visitors, guests, so forth, so on. And we certainly thank the Lord for what he's already done, and we look forward to what he's going to do. John chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1, we're going to read a little bit, and it's going to be a familiar uh, familiar passage to you, I'm sure, but notice it says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that John made more, uh, made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus Himself baptized not but His disciples, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and He must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh He to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, ...near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well that was about the sixth hour, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. And his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? But the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now, whom thou now hast is not thy husband, In that sayest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in these this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her woman, Believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Father, tonight we just ask, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts and that you'd work and move in our lives. Thank you for just the simplicity of your word. Thank you for the privilege it is to be a part of your family. Lord, we thank you for eternal life, which is ours by faith in Christ Jesus. We thank you that although you are creator, you've chosen to be our God, our Lord, and have allowed us to be a part of your family. So much so that you said you'd never leave us nor forsake us and that you'd bring us comfort and strength even in times of need. Lord, tonight as we face another week of witnessing, another week of reaching out with the gospel as we face, another week of living our lives in this world. Help us to follow your example. We thank you so much, Lord, for your love and grace. Speak to us now and use us. May we glean from your word and may we, Father, be better equipped to deal with each person we come in contact with. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. When we start talking about account like this it's obvious that the Lord Jesus Christ is reaching out trying to include another person in his family and what we're called to do is basically the same do you realize that there is an expectation on every believer tonight an expectation that cannot be dismissed take your Bible if you would look over the book of John verse chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 John 15, chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. We're going to note an expectation that God has on behalf of all of us and and for each of us. And we'll get back to John 4 in just a moment. But notice what the Bible says in John chapter 15. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit He purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. I want you to notice once again that it is a natural thing for believers to produce fruit. That's a natural thing. It is unnatural when we do not. It is natural for us being part of the vine, being supplied by the vine, to produce after the vine. Now, if we are unfruitful as believers, then there is something wrong in the process or in the mix. Now, someone will say, well, that doesn't mean souls. That just means the fruit of the Spirit. If you are filled with the Spirit, exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness... Temperance. against such there is no law, if you are truly moved by that, you can't tell me that you won't see fruit visible from it. I mean, are we kidding ourselves here? I think we've lulled ourselves into this false sense of security that I can be spiritual without ever having to look spiritual, act spiritual, or actually be spiritual. I'm spiritual in my heart, but it doesn't show on the outside. I mean, I know I'm spiritual, but maybe no one else does yet. No, if you, have, if you are bearing the fruit of the Spirit, then you will be bearing fruit called souls before it's over with. I don't, I don't know that that is... I think it's an impossibility to, be, to truly experience and to exhibit and to possess the fruit of the Spirit and not produce some kind of visible fruit from it. I I just don't know that that is possible. You know why I say that? Because you don't have to be able to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit to have visible fruit already. What I mean by that is you can go out in the flesh and lead someone to the Lord. I mean, you really can. You say "That's, that's not true. Well, you show me in the Bible where it's not true. The truth is the Word of God saves anyway. You don't. So if you take the Word of God out and you share the truth with somebody, they could receive Christ whether you're in the Spirit or not. The Word of God is truly it. The Spirit of God is the key, not you. You know, the last time I checked, when it's all said and done, we really don't win them. We just warn them. And, and so in reality here, the, the fact is, is that it is quite natural. The expectation for every believer yes, be filled with the Spirit of God, but ultimately producing fruit because we are receiving from the vine. And as branches, we're going to produce what flows from and through. And so that's the expectation. In John chapter 4, we have a great example, though. I mean, in John chapter 4, our passage tells us about Jesus Christ Himself who is the ultimate soul winner. I and mean, we talk about the Apostle Paul and there's no doubt that the Apostle Paul was a very unique, incredible human being, probably the greatest soul winner in the New Testament outside of Jesus who is salvation himself. But we see here in this particular passage, we see this wonderful example that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us. I think we would all agree that if competence, conviction, courage, and compassion are all characteristics that define the soul winner. Jesus was without doubt the greatest soul winner ever. There was never one any more competent, none ever so convicted, none ever so courageous or compassionate than the Lord Jesus Christ. No one. And for us today, we have this wonderful example of a soul winner. The Savior soul winner. So tonight I just want to take a few minutes and I want to note four elements of soul winning or should I say in the aspect of presentation four elements that we need that we can see or glean from this particular passage and our Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, we must consider. In verses 4 through 8, the Lord Jesus Christ says something very interesting. He, He makes the statement, we must needs go through Samaria. And then he ultimately goes to this city, and uh, you have to understand that the Samaritans, of course, as we've mentioned in the past, and have to understand is that they are the offspring of the Assyrian captivity. Now, the children of Israel, the northern tribes, went into captivity in 721 B.C., Assyrian captivity. Now, when they went into captivity they went in and assimilated themselves into the culture of the Assyrians. The Assyrians were idolatrous. The Assyrians were ungodly. The Israelites assimilated into their culture, married their men and married their women, and they basically became Samaritans. Part Israelite, basically, part Assyrian. They were half Breeds, if you will. I don't know how to say it any other way. They were half and half. Okay, they weren't whole milk. They were two percent. At least that's my grandma used to say. Whole milk was four percent. I don't think that's how it works. But anyway, they, they 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 weren't all Israelite. They weren't all Assyrian. They were Samaritans. They 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 had the they they had assimilated into this wicked, sinful culture. Now here's what happens now. So that they have descendants from the Israelites, they have descendants from Israel, but, but on the other hand, they're also, you know, tied to the Assyrians. So the Jews now that, that were from the captivity of Babylon, coming out of Babylon, reestablishing Jerusalem now, here they are now years later at odds with the Assyrian, at odds with the Samaritans. You know, you guys are traitors and you guys are wicked and you're sinners and they basically had a real racial battle going on here. And so the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated some consideration here. I mean, he put aside the racial barriers. He put aside his personal issues or his national pride, even, and said, "Listen, that a soul is worth more than my than, than our our national position. It's worth more than our racial position. It's worth more than than just you know um, whether or not." I fit in with my people, or they understand my outreach. I, okay, they may not understand it, but that soul's worth more to me than their particular um, support. We must consider. You know, we're going to reach people all the time, or go out into this world. We're going to reach some people that, if we get, at least if we're willing to, we'll reach people that some don't want anything to do with. I mean, there are folks out there that that are derelict. There are folks out there that are extremely wicked. There are folks out there that have not only turned their back on God, but turned their back on their families. They've been involved in things that are so grotesque and so wicked and seem so unheard of even sometimes, even in our own lives. And we may look or view them as being unreachable. But Jesus showed us in his example that we need to be considerate of other people that we need to go out of our way to reach the people who others consider to be useless. Throwaways. And you know what? God doesn't have... There are no throwaways in the world. Every soul is valuable to God. Every person is equally valuable to God. And so we see this example here. So we must be compassionate. We must be concerned. That's what Jesus Christ was as we look at... This chapter 4 verses 4 through 8. He there found himself waiting at the well. I knew I have to believe with all my heart that he went that way on purpose to meet with a woman who nobody else wanted anything to do with. That's why she was there at that hour instead of the normal hour. Because she was an outcast in her culture, an outcast in her society because she did not fit what was considered to be decent or moral. And may I say that we understand there are consequences for immorality. I'm not even saying that it was wrong that she was there later and that the others were struggling to be hanging out with her. I'm not even going to go there. But what I will say is this. If you want to reach people like that, you have to go to some degree and reach out to them. She didn't reach out to Jesus. Jesus reached out to her. And that's important to understand. So we have to consider. Number two, we must converse. In verses 9 through 15 we note that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke with her. Now, I think it's funny to me, and, and again, I, I, I'm all for being careful and you know, separated and all of that stuff. I think that's important. It's necessary. But I'm going to be honest with you. If I knock on a door and there's a woman that's lost, I'm going to talk to her. I may not go in her house. I may stand on the porch and talk to her. But I'm not going to go, you know what, man, I'll tell you what. I can't lead no woman to the Lord. I'm a man. Why? What, is my marriage that week that I can't even talk to a woman at the door when I went with the express purpose of reaching out to people? <laughs> You know, I'm just saying, I'm just trying to understand this a little bit. I think sometimes when we're not careful, and I see this sometimes, we get so paranoid about certain little things, and we get so, you know, well, is that appropriate? Is that right? Yeah, well, I guess if you're sneak- going inside the house, and you're closing the door, and you're by yourself, and then blah, 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 blah. I understand things like that. Use some wisdom. Use some common sense. Protect yourself, your reputation, and all of that. I understand all that. However, man, I'll tell you what, if there's somebody in need, I'm going to try to help them. Now, if, and I'm just going to put it out there, and I'm going to be quite frank and honest. If you're a guy and you're attracted to a, guy, a girl at work, don't you witness to her. You stay as far away from her as you possibly can. I'm just going to be honest. Now, that's not what it's, this is about. If you can't see somebody as a soul, then you don't need to be knocking at their door, so to speak. You don't need to be discussing things with them, spiritual, and trying to pretend to yourself that that's why you're doing it. Quit lying to yourself. And ladies, it's the same thing with you. You're out, and he's like, oh, he's, you know, he's really a nice guy, and I really... I don't know, you know. If, if I wasn't married, I'd be... Tempted. Maybe you ought to let somebody else witness to him. Especially if your marriage is struggling. I'm just saying, if you can't see a person as a soul, then you don't need to be dabbling around in that stuff and using that as a, a tool or an opportunity to talk to somebody. You say, what's, what's causing you to talk like that? I have no idea, but there's somebody that needed that tonight. Amen. Yes. Amen. Somebody in this room needed that. I'm about sick and tired of people, you know, blaming God for the mess they get into. Well, I was just serving the Lord. He brought us together. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But we do have to converse. We have to talk. I want to notice verse 9 here in the passage. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Do you realize who you're talking to? Do you understand what you're dealing with here? Jesus is like, yeah, I know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, folks are going to be surprised that you showed them the time of day sometimes. There will be people that will be really taken that you would even take the time to talk to them. And Jesus shows us that, you know, we ought to be taking time to talk to people who others would not approach. You ever been downtown and see some certain people and you think, boy, I'm going to try to stay as far away from them as I possibly can. Now, I'm not talking about you feel threatened for your life. I'm talking about they just seem weird. You know, kind of like the church folks here. (laughs) Aren't we just weird? They say you are what your pastor, the people become what their pastor is. weird. But, you know, it's unusual. People look at us and say, boy, you're, you're unusual. You know, nobody else at the office wants anything to do with me, but you'll talk to me. Nobody else at school gives me the time of day, but you sat down and had lunch with me. Aren't you worried? Don't you know who you're dealing with here? Don't you realize that nobody, everybody thinks I'm strange, everybody thinks I'm outside the box, everybody thinks that I'm, you know, in left field? Jesus said, yeah, that's all right matter of fact, I went out of my way to talk to you. Then notice also as we begin to speak, as we converse, that we're going to have to address the unbelievable. In verse 10, the Bible says, For Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, he would have given thee living water. (laughs) The <laughs> woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. The well's deep. From whence then hast thou the living water? I mean, he's talking about things that are unbelievable. And he goes on to say, "Art thou greater than our, She goes, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Isn't that something? I mean, in the midst of our conversation, we've got to get to the supernatural issue here. The unbelievable, if you will. And you know what? We need to realize that folks are going to have a hard time wrapping their minds around truth. Because truth is supernatural. It's God-given. It's the Word of God. This book is true from the beginning. And when we start sharing the gospel with people, some of them are going to scratch their head and go, Come on now. That seems too easy. Come on now, is it that simple? Really? And yeah, it is. It is that simple. But you know what? You have to open your mouth to get the gospel out. I'm all for lifestyle evangelism in, by definition. I think our lifestyle ought to be a, an example of godliness. We ought to be living Christ-like without a doubt. But I don't care how good or godly you live, unless you share God's Word, then they'll never hear. At least that's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10. How shall they hear without a preacher? You say, well, I'm not called to pastor, but you are called to proclaim. Amen. And you know what? We have to open our mouths. So there must be an element of, yes, consider, but we must converse. And, and you know what? They're going to be surprised maybe that we even took the the time of day to speak to them. And then in the midst of it, it's going to be like, man, this is unbelievable. What are you talking about? I'm not grasping it. I can't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. And you know, sometimes we get frustrated with people like that. And we get like, you know, oh, can't, oh, come on, you've got to be kidding me. They can't see it. It's plain as day. Well, that's why the Bible says in, second, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that, that it's spiritual. Look at, look at that real quick. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is a supernatural issue that we're dealing with. It's not just human reasoning that brings this about. Chapter 2, verse 14. Well, let's go back to 13 even. 1 Corinthians two, thirteen, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned now the fact is is that the message in the 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 gospel that we're sharing with people is a message that has to be spiritually discerned i don't care how intellectual a person is that doesn't mean they can ease more easily grasp the truth or the concept it's the holy spirit of god that illuminates the mind and enables us to understand things that are deeper and greater than ourselves And the fact that Jesus Christ is God in flesh, that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day, and that he shed his precious blood to pay for our sin and that he would receive us and accept us if we will call on him by faith. That is a spiritual truth. That's something that doesn't just happen. You don't just share that in intellectual perspective and say, okay, now, you got it? Good. No, the Holy Spirit has to take that truth, drive it home, and bring conviction in their life, and then they're able to say yes or no to the Lord. It's spiritually discerned. But we must open our mouth and share the unbelievable with them. And then the Holy Spirit must help them. I mean, in this particular passage in verse 15, the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. I want that water you're talking about because I don't want to have to waste my time coming back up here. Do you know how inconvenient it is to have to come in this time of day every day? Do you know how embarrassing it is to come out here all by yourself and everybody knows that you're a wicked, sinful person and you have this past hanging over your head and you're dealing with it every day? I'm just fed up. Well, give me that water so I don't have to drink any water anymore. I don't ever have to come here and draw anymore. That was her understanding. And we go, are you woman... Wake up. What are you talking about? What else is she to think? How many times have you witnessed to a family member, a friend? And they didn't get it. And if you're not careful, you think, they're just too far gone. They're too hard. You know, they're one of them hard cases. I'm wasting my time talking to them. Have you ever felt like that? You say, nope, I'm, I'm glad you haven't. But you know what? I think that it's tempting to think that way at times. But we must converse. Number three, we'll move right along here. We must confront. Yes, we need to consider people. We must converse with them, but we must confront. And, you know, it's easy to give the gospel and, and sometimes just give it, you know, just kind of give the gospel. But I want you to notice Jesus, he deals with something. He's pretty forward about some things, isn't he? He really addresses this thing. He, he gets into the nitty gritty. Matter of fact, in verse 16 through 19, we learn that he exposes her many faults. Well, what's he basically doing then? He's pointing out sin. He's saying you are a sinner. I'm going to tell you something. That's confrontation. You want to know why it's, we struggle with dealing with people at doors or giving the gospel to family and friends? And it's because we don't want confrontation. I don't like confrontation at all. I hate confrontation. I'll be honest with you, I, I don't like it. Now, I mean, you you put me on a football field a few years ago. <laughs> you know, you put me in a position of competition where that's the goal. I don't mind that. I put it on a wrestling mat or maybe in a boxing ring or something like that. Okay, that's fine. That confrontation, that's different. We're both here for the same purpose. We're going to go at it. I like the aggressiveness of all that. I enjoy that kind of stuff. That was fun. But... When it comes to just dealing with people, facing problems, addressing issues, I'm not one of those confrontational type people by nature. I'd rather kind of recede back into the shadows and let the world just go off and do its own thing. But I can't do that because, see, watch now, it's natural to produce as a believer. As we get closer to the Lord, we are compelled to share His story. We're compelled to include Him in our conversation. We're compelled to encourage others to embrace the same Savior that we've embraced. When we have no desire to share Him, it's because we are spending no time with Him. Now, I, I know that that doesn't come across good, okay? I'm not saying you're scared to share Him. I'm saying you have no desire at all to share Him. You know what the conflict for the believers most of the time is, I want to share Him. I'm just afraid to share Him. I want to share Him, but I don't know how to share Him. I want to share Him, but I don't know if I'd be effective at it. I mean, there's all those kind of issues. I understand that. But where there's no desire at all... I mean, when you're, you're able to go through life and never once think about Christ, never once even ask yourself, does anybody even need the Lord other than me and my family? Or not even think that. Just don't even think about it. i got to believe there's a disconnect between you and the one who saved you. Now, Jesus, in verse 16 through 19, He addresses her many faults. And we don't need to get into those. We obviously have read it already. But when you're dealing with people about their salvation, you're going to have to address sin. We dress that sin by going over to the book of Romans in chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for the law of sin. And we go back there to the garden, and we recognize the fact that Adam sinned, because Adam sinned now, he being the first sinner, everybody that's ever born has been born into sin as well. He's, the, he's basically the, the root issue there. He started that whole mess off, and unfortunately every one of his children bear the, the, the mark of sin as well. And then their children, the mark of sin. And their children, the mark of sin. We are sinners inherently. We are sinners at the very root. It's not just what we do. It's who we are. And so we understand that. And we must express that to people as we address them. That's what Jesus did. He exposed her many faults. But number two in there, interestingly enough, He exposed her misguided faith. That's inter- that, now, that's interesting. Have you ever met somebody who believes something but it wasn't right when you were out knocking doors. I ran into that a lot today, this week. That's 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 a bummer, isn't it? Because now you're really talking about some confrontation potentially, right? But Jesus, He addressed it in verse 20. The Bible says here, "Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship." She's so saying, "Wait a second, our fathers worshipped in this mountain." Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain, nor yet at Jerusalem, worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. Can you believe that? Wow. Well, you know, I I don't like to deal with those things. Yeah, neither neither do I. But unfortunately, where there is misguided faith, there can be no salvation. And as we address people, there are times as the Lord's speaking to our heart and as we're dealing with them that we have to address this misguided faith. See, some stumbling blocks to salvation are this sin and lifestyle. That's a stumbling block. That'll keep people from coming to Christ. Another thing that will keep people from coming to Christ is their upbringing, their religious background. Or their perceived understanding even. They think they know something. But may I say again that the Bible teaches that this book is truth. Amen. It doesn't matter how grounded you are in your belief. If it is not grounded in truth, then it is a lie. Right. And unfortunately, as believers, we need, we need to be as kind and as considerate and as loving compassionate as we possibly can be. But on the other hand, we cannot allow others to believe that we agree with their false beliefs. I'm not saying that we need to be mean. We need to say, well, you're stupid. You don't know any better. You're not, you don't even know what the Bible teaches. And I'm right and you're wrong. And No, it's never a matter of between me and them. It's always God and them. It's what the word of god says and teaches and therefore there has to be a connect between the word of god and them between the lord jesus and them between truth and them and the fact is is that we run into people all the time you and i both who put their faith in someone or something other than jesus alone and it's so easy just to go all right thank you isn't that easy oh i know it's easy I was telling my wife, we were out a few times this week, and I said, man, I feel like kicking myself. Sometimes there's things I just want to say. Uh, uh, Sometimes the door's closing. Sometimes you can tell they disconnect. They're already shut off. But sometimes I think I needed to push that a little more. I needed to push that button just a little bit more. I needed to try to bring something out that might at least leave a question or somehow help them. He exposed her many faults. He confronted her misguided faith. And sometimes we'll need to do that too because that's the Lord's example to us. Therefore, we may have to do that. And that's uncomfortable. And that also demands some study and preparation sometimes. I like as bad as it is for you. I don't always eat it anymore. But I like fast food. I do. I like it. I don't eat it like I used to eat it. I used to eat fast food a lot more. A few years back, I started kind of breaking off from it. Don't eat it like I did. Of course, I eat all vegetables now. <laughs> Why are you laughing? You can tell the color of my skin is still red, huh? You are what you eat, right? I, But but I have. I backed off something. Of but I'm going to tell you something. I like fast food. I still know kind of what the price... They've changed all these prices lately, and I don't like that. But... Even though I don't eat it all the time, I don't like that they're changing the prices, going up, and they're limiting, like McDonald's limits their menu now, you know, and they try to force you to eat certain things that cost more, and I don't like that. They've lost me as a patron almost. But I kind of like that stuff. But but you know why I like it? Because it's simple. It's easy. You pull on in there, man, give me a fry, give me a Big Mac, you know, that sounds good, maybe a few chicken nuggets on top. You know what I'm saying? Order off the dollar menu or something. That's awesome, you know. At least back when they used to be a dollar. I hate the dollar menu. That's a dollar twenty-nine. Doesn't that drive you crazy? Can I get off the dollar menu? Yeah, our McDoubles are a dollar twenty-nine now. I thought they were on a dollar menu. Yeah, well they're only a dollar. No, they're a dollar twenty-nine. Yeah, but they're not two dollars, so they're a dollar menu. You get where I'm going with that? I, I I've been there. Trust me. I asked the questions. I, I told you probably. I already told you this. I. It's at Sam's Club, right? And and of course they, they have you know they, they have the big drinks there you know and everybody gets those drinks and it's pretty cool. I like that you know. And me and my kids. I mean back when years ago when we didn't have a lot of money and stuff. Not that we have a lot now, but we do have a lot more than we used to. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Uh, the, the fact is is that we didn't have you know two nickels to rub together so to speak. We'd take the kids from time to time. We'd splurge and we'd go to go to one of these places like. Uh, when they first opened once that place sheets and we'd buy them 50 cent hot dogs and we'd get a big drink. I call them big drinks. Kids loved them so we'd say let's go get a big drink. Yeah! Kids go crazy. Big drinks. Cost about 350 or something for the whole family to get big drinks. And the kids thought we were like going on vacation or something. So I like going to I go to Sam's Club, you know, and, and I'd buy those big drinks, you know, and I'd get those and and they used to be like a lot less than they are now. Now they're like 89. But anyway, you get them. And, and I remember I went up to the counter the one day and I said, I got it, and I, I looked at her, I said, listen, I said, this cup's smaller. And she said, No, it's not. I said, Looks smaller to me. I said, You raised the price ten cents and the cup looks smaller. She said, It's not smaller. I said, wait a second. I looked and I looked over on a one of their things over there, and it said right on below it, 30 ounces. I said, this used to be 32 ounces. <laughs> and she went, you're right. It is smaller. She worked there and didn't even know, but I caught it like that. I have no idea what I'm talking about right now, but I... I'm having a great time, I'm telling you right now. This is, I'm getting fired up right now. This is good. I'm ready to go to Sammy's and get a piece of pizza right now. But you know, we have to address issues sometimes. We have to face issues, whether it's be false faith or uh, 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 an upbringing that was not consistent with the Word of God or whether it's simply just a misguided faith or a fault that has to be addressed. We do it lovingly and kindly, but we must confront. And finally, last but not least, we must convict. We must convict. And, and I know I said the Holy Spirit does the conviction, and He does, but I guess let me identify. I had to keep it with a C-O-N at the start of every, every one of these, so you know, you'll notice that it's uh, consider, converse, confront and now it's convict see i had to keep it that way right this is, i was going crazy this afternoon trying to figure out the right word but anyway because i had it already done i just had to change all the words so that they were made exactly right we must convict now what i'm saying from that is this when it's all said and done we need to leave them with something to ponder they may not get saved, but we need to leave them with something. In verse twenty-five, it says, "The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is cometh, which is called Christ." Remember that first coming we talked about? She knew about it. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, "I that speak unto thee am." Wow You know It's true that there are a number of times in the scriptures Where the lord would say to a demon or someone don't don't tell anybody who I am Don't don't do that And that's kind of confusing, you know, we kind of figure out what in the world's is that about? Why wouldn't he want everybody to know who he is, but you know the lord reveals himself to those Who genuinely are seeking right. Amen. Amen. You know you think about the parables or the terribles we call them it, All they were is uh, an opportunity for the Lord, the Lord used them to confuse those who were insincere. People that wanted the truth, but weren't willing, didn't really receive or accept him, that had no real desire to get to the bottom. They just simply wanted to have knowledge even. And he said, you know what? I'm going to confuse the life out of you guys. You got ears to hear, but you ain't hearing. You got eyes to see, but you're not seeing. You know what? I'm going to give you these parables and they're going to confuse the life out of you. Until you come to me genuinely, sincerely, seeking, you'll never understand what I'm saying. You know what? That's true today. People that come to church not with any real sincere desire or real goal to meet with God, to, to really sincerely touch Him and Him, be touched by Him, they rarely get what they want to get. You've you got to be sincere and genuine with God. You've got to worship Him, as it says here in verse 24, in spirit and in truth. Now, notice He goes on and He says, I that speak unto thee am He. And upon this came His disciples in Marvel. She gets up and leaves. Now, let me ask you, do you think He left her with something to think about? I mean, to tell you. He says, listen, I that speak unto thee am He. And she's like, Wow, you're the Christ? And then it starts clicking. She starts thinking. Here, this Jew was waiting on the well for me, a Samaritan. Hmm. I'm a nobody. I'm a big zero. I'm a sinner. I'm an outcast. And yet, he was waiting for me. And then he spoke to me. He considered me, and then he conversed with me, and he talked with me, and he shared with me. And he told me everything I'd ever done. Now, he didn't really tell her everything, but she said, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Isn't that interesting? Later, he says, I'm not just a prophet. I am the Christ who you're waiting for. Boy, he left her with something to think about. She leaves, and what does she do ultimately? She tells others, is not this the Christ? He told me everything that I did, and and no other man that I know could ever do that. This is someone unique and special. You need to meet him. And you know what? When we reach out to people, we need to say something. We need to leave them with something that enables them or forces them to think, to ponder. That's why we ask the question. even That's why that's the goal. Not, the goal is not just to just jump into the gospel at first we, or just to say, you know, you got a church? Why don't you come visit us at church? How's that convicting? But when you ask this question, if you died today, are you 100% sure where you'd spend eternity? That causes a person to think. Whether or not They want to think. They're going to think. And you know what? The fact is, is that we're trying to leave them with something that will prick their heart, bring conviction to their soul, that will ultimately move them to truth. And in this particular case, we try to take the time to say, if you could know for sure you were on your way to heaven, wouldn't that be good news? Well, yeah. Could I take a moment and show you from the Word of God how you can know? Can I just show you some of His promises? Sometimes it's no, sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's, well, not right now I'm busy. But boy, I tell you what, I don't care. Even if you leave, you, and then you can even leave something else on top of that. Well, listen, let me just tell you, I know that you're busy right now. I'd like to come back maybe and share that with you if I could. But let me just say that as long as, until you get that settled in your life, there's no guarantee of heaven something would happen to you. You'd perish without Jesus in a place called hell. And I don't ever want to see that happen to you. You say, if somebody get mad at me if I said that to him, Not if you said it the way I just said it. Not if you really meant it. Not if it was more about them than you getting a notch on the belt. More about their eternal soul than your personal pride. You're brokenhearted for people. They can feel it. And they may not like it, but I'll guarantee if you walk away, they're going to be thinking. And then you'll stop back by there again. And who knows what God will do the next time. Well, we see the Lord here of all the people in the world that could say, "Follow me and I will make you fishers of men." None better than the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Considered others. He conversed, he confronted, and he convicted. You know, that's what we need to be doing as we're out there knocking doors, as we're even going through the grocery line, as we're dealing with family and friends, as we're just living our lives for Christ, making sure that we are the witnesses we ought to be on his behalf, providing and producing fruit on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ as being part of that vine. God help us. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for all you do for us.